Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter and broker here at StoneX. We work in the, the grain and oil seed markets, and my group here also does a lot in energy and dairy. If you have any questions about what we do on the hedge or spec side, uh, if you're a producer or an end user, futures and options, structured products uh, like OTC, and if you are in the hedging side of the business, we also offer consulting services. You can contact me at 312-706-7610 or craig.turner at stonex.com. If you are a client, uh, if you have any questions about what we're talking about here or need to do something for your account, uh, please call or email. You should also have my cell phone and call that or text me. So if you like the podcast, please go to iTunes, give us a positive review. That's how people find us. And you can also check out the newsletter at turnerstake.com. All right, so let's get into it. This was a big week. It was the WASDI week. I was kind of hoping to do this earlier in the day, but I've been having some technical difficulties. Um, after being in the office all week, I work one day from home and the internet goes out. So that's been quite the ordeal. I'm sure you've all experienced that. It's not never fun, but Let's get into the WASDI anyway. So we did have a bullish reaction. Now, one thing that I've been talking about, if uh, you know, since the the WASDI came out, is you know the there's two types of bullish reactions. There's supply-driven bullishness, and then there's uh, demand-side bullishness. The reaction we got yesterday was a one-off event that was supply-side, which you know, great. You know, we've you know, if you are a farmer. That's good for you. If you're uh, if you're on the consumer side, you know, probably not happy with the higher prices. Uh, but you know, the thing is, like, it's a one-off. Um, and you know, corn. What was it? I, I want to say harvested acres came down to 79.2. It was almost a million and a half chop on the corn harvested acres. We saw soybean harvested acres come down about 300,000. And you, now, because we had 1.5 million harvested acres come off, I'm guessing those either didn't get planted or they were abandoned. Um, and when you do that, you know, when you take acres out, you also take those poor yields out. So naturally, the yield would come up a little bit for corn. So corn yields went up to 173.30, probably because some bad zeros got bad acres got zeroed out, right? And then didn't get included in harvested acre, but then the yields go up a little bit. So that was going on there. Regardless, still a little bit lower on production. And for soybeans, uh, they came down 0.8. So not only did harvested acres come down, but so did the yield, which is a little bit more bullish than the corn situation, with the exception that harvested acres on corn came down 1.5 um, million. At the end of the day, stocks get tighter on the corn side. It was balanced out a good bit by the reduction in exports. Um, and on the soybean side, what I was surprised with was the reduction in exports. And I did see on Twitter and afterwards, um, you know, some 
some questions about that. Now, it does make sense. If the USDA is still thinking about a very big Brazilian crop, um, they can take your exports away from the United States in the second half of the marketing year. And the closer we get to um, South American harvest, the more likely if the, you know, between the currency differential and the cheaper prices, they will book more. Um, sure, Argentina is going to be fighting for some of those bushels too. You know, keep in mind Argentina, you know, the crush, the crushing facilities in South America exist in Argentina. You know, Brazil doesn't have the capacity to crush the same way Argentina does. So if Argentina doesn't have the beans because of drought, they're going to be bidding up for those Brazil beans to bring them to bring them into Argentina, crush them, and export as meal and soybean oil. So what is interesting also too is you know in Argentina farmers have an exceptionally high on-farm storage, with the market pretty much discounts in pricing. So if there is a you know there, it's interesting with Argentina there is a cushion, there is a cushion because of so much on-farm storage. Um, that you know the art i mean when you got 80 percent inflation you know you keep as much in the bin as possible i get that so there's more of a cushion than people realize in the argentina side and brazil will send beans down to argentina but if they have you know i mean if, they, if they're over 150 million metric tons i mean they can cert they, even if they go from 155 million metric tons to 153 to eventually 150 you know that's still that's still eating into the united states exports a little bit when you take a, a deep dive into the numbers. So I'm not surprised that soybean stocks only went down a little bit, even with the reduction in production. Now, that doesn't mean prices shouldn't be high. I mean, they are high. You got old crop in the, you know, trading around 15. You got new crop trading around 14. Old crop corn, 670s. You now you got new crop corn and six. Thereabouts, give or take a nickel or 10 cents either way. And those make sense for right now where old crop stocks are. So if I'm a farmer and I'm looking at this, I'm probably selling some old crop here on this rally because if the weather does change um, or we just stay high for a while, it will. The high prices do two things it encourages new crop acres, but it also um, basically rations demand. And even though it's not rationing demand so much on the soybean side, Brazil's still going to have most likely a pretty, pretty big crop. And the weather pattern does seem to be changing. Now, it's changing slower than expected, and it may not help Argentina enough in time. But, you know, Brazil certainly still is looking pretty good. And then it'd be if we go from La Nina to a more neutral or even an El Nino period in the United States here in the spring and summer, that would generally be good for crop production. So where does that leave us? If I'm on the consumer side, so for the companies that we work with, and let's say you have to buy corn, the long-term plan would be to let this come in, and the short-term plan would be buying calls you know, above seven bucks just in case this thing takes off and you still buy like hand-to-mouth. That would be the play, you know, or I mean, you always secure for the for the first for whatever current quarter, maybe it's the next quarter, but you don't have to get too aggressive in the back end. If I'm a farmer, I'm still thinking I need to get more, a little bit more aggressive on the back end. I know, you know input costs are high and prices aren't that great. They've come down since some of these inputs were bought in the fall. And, but the market doesn't care so much about that. Um, you know, they're just going to look at supply and demand. 
And if we get 92 million acres of corn and 87 or 88 million acres of soybeans and 47 million acres of wheat, um, you know, a, a decent yield, especially in corn and soybeans, bring prices down. Wheat's going to have trouble, especially the way things start off in the West. Now, I'll get into new crop in a second here, but just to end with some of this old crop, keep this in mind. You know, it's only we're only a couple of months away from South American harvest. We're only five months away from when winter wheat starts to get harvested in the northern hemisphere. And in between now and then, old crop corn and soybeans need to remain ele elevated until we can get new crop supplies coming in South America. And winter wheat needs to be elevated in some way, shape, or form until we get new crop production in the northern hemisphere. All right, so that's what's going on. And you have this opportunity to probably sell some of, it, some of these rallies to get rid of the rest of old crop if you are a if you're a producer. And then if you're a consumer, you're probably buying month to month or quarter to quarter with some calls up top just in case things something goes wrong in the next two to five months. If you, on, on the new crop side, all right, a, clearly a lot can go on. And when you have tight stocks, and that means under 10% stocks usage for corn and soybeans, and let's just say 30 under 30% or so for wheat. Um, small changes can make a big deal in ending stocks and where prices should be, uh, or can be, or where the market will trade them. Um, you know, when you take a look at how ultimately what drives the market is going to be is volume. And the volume is going to usually be based on fundamental data. And a lot of that fundamental data, believe it or not, is coming from algos. You know, there's trend following algos, there's technical analysis algos, there's also fundamental algos. And they'll factor in anything from exports to changes in weather pattern and, you know, whatever headline is coming out from whatever, you know, government agency. And then based on how those numbers come out, it changes supplier demand in some way, it spits out a determination. It all funnels down to ending stocks, their relative price, you know, their price relative to other competing products and historically how tight they are. And then those are the targets of, you know, where, you know, of, of where these commodities should be. With that said, when I take a look at corn, wheat and soybeans and canola, you start playing around with 1 million acre here, up or down, and for yield percentages, maybe 1% or 2% up or down, you get wide swings, all right? And the money that moves the market knows that. So going forward, the risk is, I'll say this about this, this recent WASDI report. Because old crop supply got reduced, it does, you know, the market did deserve to go up the way that it did. And now it's going to pause because for us to keep on going higher, you need an ongoing supply issue story, which that wasn't, that was just a correction from the summer. Or you need an ongoing demand story, which unfortunately is actually for the farmer, it's lower. And that's actually kind of low. Unfortunately for the commercials out there, it's lower because everything's so expensive and they're cutting back. They're, they're getting price rations. So it's not good for anybody on other side of the business. Um, when prices are this high. So in the long term anyways. And then so going forward, if we say 92 million acres corn 
and we think it's going to be 88, 87 million acres wheat. And we know it's going to be probably around 47 million acres. I'll say 92 corn, 88 soybeans, 47 around wheat. Um, and that's the winter wheat plus what we think we're going to have for spring wheat. That's maxed out. Like we cannot plant any more of corn, soybeans, and wheat in this country. We rarely go above 180, 181 in corn and soybeans. So if corn's 92, I mean, the best you can do on soybeans is 89. But we're having expansion in wheat acres. And I have a feeling some of those, even if soybeans stay at like, let's say, 88 million acres, I have a feeling when you take a look at the expansion of winter wheat acres in the eastern corn belt, we went from like 7.8 or 7.9 million acres in the eastern belt to like 8.8 or 8.9, basically a million up. And a million up on 30 million acres is, you know, whatever, 3%. But a million acres higher going from seven and change to eight and change or from eight to nine, and that's, uh, that's a 10 to 15% move higher. That's a lot. And I think also, too, a lot of those new wheat acres, whether they come from, you know, central to southern Illinois or if it's Kentucky or southern Indiana or wherever, or wherever it may be, um, those are most likely now double crop acres, I think. I think what it is, it's a traditional rotation. You got your traditional rotations out there and whatever was scheduled to be a soybean acre may have gone from, let's say, instead of going corn to soybeans, it goes from corn to winter wheat to double crop soybeans, just a shorter season soybean. Um, and I wouldn't, be, and I think it pencils well. I think it makes sense, especially where the inputs are. And, you know, between all the commodities, between the three major crops and where prices are, it does make sense. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if either Ag Forum comes out or one of the future WASDs where the trend line yield actually gets reduced for soybeans. There is a calculation, and up until a couple of weeks ago, I was pretty sure what the ag form would say on what a trend line yield would be for soybeans. I'm not so sure. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a little bit lower this year. It's going to be interesting to see how the market reacts to that. So there is a little bit of risk to the upside on soybeans because of that. But if this weather turns, soybeans have the may have the farthest to fall if uh, if they get some rain pretty soon. And we'll see what happens over the weekend. And that would put canola at risk too. So my concern about canola is 20 million acres and, you know, a, an average yield. And let's say, you know, usually it's um, the average yields, trend line yields for canola nationally have been in the low 40s. So you're almost getting like one ton per acre. Um, if that's the case, then, you know, we could have 20 million planted and about, and you get a pretty decent crop, you get 20 million metric tons. Um, if that's the case, then yeah, there's going to be no supply issues in Canada. So, you know, it's, you know, does, does canola need to be in the 800s on the board? Probably not. Is it closer to like maybe anywhere between mid 700s to high 600s it could be um and and if you get a really good soybean crop and we start to get uh, some balance in the supply and demand tables it could even be lower i 
and and that's my concern. So that's my concern for the farmer um, going forward. I think you do. If I'm a farmer, I'm looking at my break-even prices for new crop, and probably buying some puts around those break-even prices, just so you know you don't lose any money this year. And then you go ahead and market your grain as you're comfortable on what you're going to have. Um, you know, if you if conditions are okay right now, and you think at the very worst you'll have you know 50% of your crop, you can start marketing maybe 10, 15, 20% of that. You know, if if you're dry as a bone and you're concerned about the summer, I can understand holding off altogether. But I think that's something you got to look at uh, for, you know, and for the, the end user, I'd be patient. I mean, you can always buy. I mean, I think you never want to get caught flat footed if you're on the buy side and you need to buy corn, soybeans, wheat. So maybe I mean, maybe you just kind of because things are tight and anything can happen. I'd be buying some calls or call spreads just in case as an insurance policy looking to buy some of these commodities at much cheaper. And by the way, how much can these commodities really go up and down? Take a look at natural gas. Take a, take a look at that chart. When these things break, they break. And I'm not saying we're going back to the old lows, but they can go a lot lower than where they are now. And eventually commodities usually revert back to the mean in some way, shape or form. And I don't think $6 is the mean in corn. I don't think $14 is the mean in soybeans, I don't think seven or eight dollars is the mean in wheat. Um, so, you know, farmers like to be bullish. The end user likes to be bearish. We get we take a real look at the situation here. Prices deserve to be high because we have tight stocks. That's not going to last forever, and we got to market and plan accordingly, um, regardless of what side of the market you're on. So, I would say um, one other thing going forward here, we are. Uh, we're off on Monday. Then we've got four days, uh, four days in the office. If you want to talk to me about anything we're going on with the marketing or our buying plans, uh, let me know. Happy to talk about that. I we are going to have an OTC webinar uh, next week. I believe it's OTC for farmers. Um, I'll probably be doing an OTC for the consumer, uh, for the end user. Also, shortly after that, a lot of the same concepts. Um, and how you can use those for your, you know, for your operation and business. So I appreciate everyone bearing with me today and the technology issues. And but we did get this podcast out. And uh, you, know, you can always contact me at 312-706-7610. Email me at craig.turner at stonex.com. I hope everyone has a great week. And uh, if you need anything, please reach out. Thanks very much. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniels Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniels Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the Risk Disclosure accessed at www 
www.danielstrading.com. Daniels Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniels Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.